Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Cynthia, so glad you're home. I have some very exciting news. Well, I have some news for you too, Jonathan. Me first. I've just discovered a great podcast called Mail Order Zombie, and it's hosted by a married couple just like us. Um, yeah. Speaking of that, I had a meeting with the lawyer today, and... It's mainly about direct-to-DVD zombie movies, but the show covers the whole range of zombie culture. Games, books, plays, comics, you name it. Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, I've been spending a lot of time with my massage therapist, Rodrigo. Is he into post-apocalyptic novels, films, and TV shows? Because if he is, you should let him know that those things are all covered on Mail Order Zombie 2. I have taken the liberty of putting your belongings in these garbage bags over here. Hope you remember to pack my MP3 player, because I'd sure hate to miss the next episode of Mail Order Zombie. You can find it online at MailOrderZombie.com, or just look for Mail Order Zombie in the iTunes store, and it's all free! Yes! Like I hope to be very soon. So what is it you wanted to say to me, Cynthia? You're an idiot. Oh, I love you too. For the Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. Stupid asshole. Watch your tongue, boy, if you like this job. Like this job. Good evening, folks. We're the Pine Box Boys. These are the tales of the emancipated head as it goes rolling down Confusion Hill. The poet's wife's a widow now, though I don't think no one told her that recently her husband's head was freed from its shoulders. She's likely to grieve a bit, perhaps slip into denial, but by and by she'll profit from his posthumous revival. But that's another story and another bitter pill. Let us turn instead and watch the head go rolling down the hill. Now it seems to frown, and now it seems to grin, reversals of expression as it rolls from crown to chin. And what might it be thinking as it rolls on along? Well, those post-mortem dreams are the subjects of these songs. Thirteen tales of terror it chills me to report, drawn from a severed mind whose time is running short. And why was that head cut off? You needn't bother asking why. The Emancipated Poet's Head will tell us by and by.
Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 68 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? Oh, man, it's it's absolute chaos around here. That's right. Aren't you, like, eating in a hole? Something like that. You know how most houses have, like, a kitchen? Yes. <laughs> it's one of those features that you see a lot in, say, Sunset Magazine. Yeah, no, mine, mine doesn't <laughs> right now. There's the whole the kitchen, the dining room, the hall. It's pretty much everything that's downstairs is not there. It's like fenced off, wrapped off in plastic. There's massive demolition going on. I got I got that going on inside my house. Okay. And outside my house, it, my cat thinks it's the apocalypse. Can't come in the house. It, it, and outside, there's this mockingbird that is it built a nest like right where the scaffolding is that they're you know redoing on the outside of the house and this mockingbird is just is going off on my cat like (laughs) from sun up to sundown this bird is is decided that he's going to defend his territory and his territory is the entire block and so it's just constant this bird is just swooping at my cat and yelling just constantly just and at first, it was kind of funny and kind of cute. And ha-ha, look at that little bird that's harassing the cat, probably going to get its ass kicked. And now it's just obnoxious. It's like having this little little kid, like, yelling, Hey, fuck you! Hey, fuck you! Hey, I'm going to kick your ass! Hey, 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 come here! I'm going to kill you! It just just constantly for days at a time. So it's like getting a call from Vaughn. It is! It's like <laughs> Vaughn is calling my cat and won't stop calling him. Oh, and, shit. The thing of it is, where the scaffolding is, is like re- right near the nest, and they're going to have to chop down this hedge to to cut a hole in the wall and put a door there, and that's where the bird's nest is. So before they do that, I've decided that you know the right thing to do would be to get in there and gently take the nest down and put it in my cat's bowl. <laughs> well, isn't that why the good Lord invented BB guns? <laughs> Hey, believe me, it's been it's been tempting. I have to keep reminding myself. First, <laughs> just doing what is you know, he's just watching out for his kids. But t- damn, it's getting old. <laughs> well, how long is this uh, remodel supposed to take? You think? Well, they say at the on the outside, it should take no more than three months. So I'm figuring at least three months. <laughs> right, exactly. It will probably go over both in time and in price. Yeah, I figure it's going to take all my money and the rest of my life <laughs> before I have a functional kitchen again. So I'm like eating in the garage. I have no oven. I have no stove. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sink that I have is just like the laundry room sink. The garage is like mostly full of stuff. And then we kind of assembled a table in there. We got the microwave set up on a saw or, or no, on the old radial arm saw stand. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's like living in Bosnia. Well, speaking of life expectancy, tonight we're listening to the Pine Box Boys from San Francisco, California, and their new album, Tales from the Emancipated Head, which you heard being previewed a little bit way back in episode 50. It's finally out now. You can pick it up at pineboxboys.com, and it is such a great CD for horror fans. Yeah, this thing, oh man, some of the songs... It's nice to hear them again and more fleshed out, and then there's just a whole bunch of good stuff you haven't heard before. And it's all strung together in a narrative. It's good. It's a, it's a concept album, and it's a good one. Yeah, a damn good one. So 
check it out. We're going to have a little discussion later on during the show with Lester T. Raw, of course. And we've also got a couple of other interviews. I spent uh, last weekend, Memorial Day weekend, actually, at the Seattle Crypticon 2011 Horror Convention, where I got interviews with Linnea Trash Quigley from Return of the Living Dead and yes. Bill Mosley, Chop Top himself from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and Otis from Devil's Rejects. So we've got a lot of great stuff for you coming up. But first, dude, what pisses you off? Dude, you know what pisses me off? What's that? Doing the preparation work, the prep work for the actual skilled laborers to come in and do my house. As part of the money-saving process of this this whole thing, I decided, and by I, I mean my wife, decided that uh, we would do the demo. So we tore out the cabinets and the walls and the, tore off all the vinyl on the floor and all the carpet and stuff. And then, then there's like this this next layer you got to get through. And so the vinyl was, was stuck to it. And the contractor told us, yeah, you got to scrape up all that vinyl. So where the, the vinyl was glued to the floor, there's these long strips. And you got to like chisel it off like a, just an eighth of an inch at a time. And it took forever. Like finally got all that up. And the next day a contractor comes out and goes, yeah, actually that stuff the vinyl was stuck to. You didn't need to scrape the vinyl off it. We're just going to throw all that away anyway. <laughs> so then it was the next step of removing all that which was held down by like 8,000 screws and a couple hundred nails and then roughly 68 billion of these staples just these tiny staples from hell that you couldn't pull out they would bust when you try to pull them out instead of a staple now you have like two sharp wires and you try to pull those out and they bust further it just I spent like a day and a half, just solid, on the floor, pulling out staples, one at a time. God! If God had meant me to do manual labor, I wouldn't be so pissed off by it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It was like real work. I'm not cut out for real work. <laughs> what pisses you off? Well, you know, it's been pissing me off lately. Sarah, Sarah Palin said stump something stupid in the news again. And it just kind of brought to light a lot of really shitty arguing on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. And what pisses me off is motherfuckers who don't know how to argue. Okay, You're just saying that because you're racist. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about, we're going to call this Steve's, uh, I don't know what you call it, fallacious? (laughs) Fallacio? Fallacio. Steve's lessons in fallacy. Okay, listen. I'm listening. If somebody postulates the argument that Sarah Palin is an idiot, if your comeback mentions Obama in any way, you failed. Yeah. Because that is the red herring fallacy. If your argument is A and you postulate a counter to that that is topic B that has nothing to do with topic A and you pretend like it does, you have already failed. Your argument is invalid. And that pisses me off. So don't do it. If you want to argue, there's plenty of other shit to argue about. Maybe you can come back and say, you know what? Sarah Palin's not an idiot. She's smart. Last summer, she memorized pi to 50 decimal places. That is an (laughs) argument. I don't believe it. I think you're full of shit. But that is a valid argument. It's not valid to say anything about Obama or Bill Clinton or George Bush when discussing how stupid Sarah Palin is. You know, this is... Are we clear on this? this. 
Because we talked about, like, I think, way back in the Piss Off episode, it was, you know, what pisses us off. And when someone says George Bush, blah, 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 if the comeback is, yeah, well, Bill Clinton got a blowjob. No, that doesn't change the fact of what George Bush is doing. Exactly. Pissed us off then, pisses us off now. Yes. And yeah, just don't do it. That's not how you argue. You argue no. the point at hand and you don't throw out a red herring. That is what pisses me off. If I say this shellfish is undercooked and I'm afraid I will get a disease from it, you're, you cannot counter, oh yeah, well, apples taste like shit. <laughs> exactly. Again, red herring. Yeah. You know what amazes me? How I keep underestimating both how dumb Sarah Palin can be and how much people find her interesting. It is quite amazing. I keep thinking she's an idiot. She's never going to be elected to anything. And then people keep following her. Like, I heard that people were actually going into Wikipedia and trying to change facts about Paul Revere's ride so that it would (laughs) sort of back up what she said. Do you believe that shit? I believe it. I mean, what the the fuck kind of Cersei Lannister politics is that? (laughs) Is is that you expect the, the facts to be a shield, Lord Eddard? No. Yeah, here's the actual quote. This is so beautiful. I I wrote it down. I, I watched it. I listened to it. Here's what she said regarding Paul Revere. He who warned uh, the British that they weren't going to be taking away our arms uh, by ringing those bells and making sure as he's riding his horse through town to send those warning shots and bells that we were going to be secure and that we were going to be free. What does that even mean? <laughs> what is that? Is that language? I do not even know. That's crazy talk. It really is. It's yeah. like she just assembled a bunch of words that had to do with the story, and then threw in some extra words and shook them up, and then you know spilled them out. Well, no, it was like she was caught on the spot, but she couldn't just stop talking. I do that. Like, nah, but you don't like just dig a hole. Not that bad. You know, you say, yeah, we went and saw Paul Revere's childhood home. It was fucking cool. <laughs> you don't have to say anything more than that. It was, very, edu- it was, a very, it was very educational. We learned a lot. Everything doesn't have to be a fucking talking point when you're standing there in the deli sandwich line. That's you, true. You know? You could just say, I've yeah. I got a question. You know, I really like salami. You just change the subject. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this, this sandwich. Speaking of salami... Hey, weren't we all British at that point anyway? I think we were. And the thing about Ms. Palin is, even if she were to be speaking correctly about something, if she were actually knowledgeable about a thing and she were discussing it and she had all the facts in her head, she's one of those people that it just kills me to listen to her. She's so, so bad at speaking that it just makes me want to stab my own ears. Ariana Huffington is like that. George Bush actually made me laugh because he was so bad, but he was kind of like that. She's like that. She's just, oh, she's just a terrible, terrible speaker. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. So, <laughs> and you you couple being a terrible speaker with being a moron. But the funny uh, thing is, okay, you say anything bad about her, and oh, n- now I'm a liberal cocksucker. Yeah, you know, it's not thing- just because I'm calling her. It's not because you're an a communist, idiot. And you are. Right. It's well, because you're insulting Sarah Palin. Right. But th- that doesn't, you know, there's that leap too. That if I insult her, then I am anti everything conservative. 
Right. Which is not correct either. You so, probably hate guns. Why do you hate America? I don't know. Because I'm a piss poor patriot. You know what I don't understand? Newt Gingrich, I think, is a really smart guy. I don't agree with his social agenda, but I think like Newt is a really, really bright guy. But the one thing that I've always just gone, what, what, what about Newt is when he was talking about Sarah Palin earlier, early on in her rise, and he said he, that he thought that she was brilliant. That's like this one thing that's always stuck in my craw. Is there like a evil twin Newt out there that just occasionally says totally erroneous, crazy shit? No, I don't know. Maybe at the time it was a circling the wagons thing, you know, to try to get that ticket elected. Yeah, maybe for so. the party. But you know what's interesting about Newt Gingrich? I once, uh, through my book job, uh, had dinner with Kwaise Umfume, who at the time was the president of the NAACP. Yeah. And the, the guy I was working with asked him, he said, so who's the smartest guy that you know of in Washington? Amazingly, he said Newt Gingrich, without a doubt. See? And, I mean, talk about a guy who, completely from the other side of the aisle... Who recognized that about Newt Gingrich as well? So you know, it's kind of interesting to hear that sort of respect from somebody who's a, you know politically disaffiliated with your beliefs. Yeah, I don't know, Sarah Palin weirdness. You think yeah. she's too stupid to get elected? Then you go, huh? George Bush did get not only elected, he got re-elected. That's true. Yeah, we're all going to hell. <laughs> I'm voting for you. Thank you. You should. So uh, as long as we're talking about politics, you got a political rant this week. Oh, that wasn't my political rant? Uh, was it? Oh, was, was it? it? Dun, was dun, it? dun. <laughs> I've got a political rant lit. Look, if your name is Wiener, <laughs> you of all people should be clued in to the fact that your name means something. And you should ought not be sending out pictures of your Wiener <laughs> out there to the general public where people can get at it. Look, Wiener. I don't care what you do with your with your free time. I don't care if you get off on sending people pictures of your wiener. If that's your thing, great. What makes me think that maybe you ought not be in charge of important things like my country is the fact that you think it's a good idea to do this and you're so amazed that you got caught. And then when you got caught doing it, you lie about it? No. It's there. It's the internet. Mike, look. This is Mike Wiener, right? I fuck if I know. I don't okay. pay attention to that hey, shit. Hey, Wiener, I know you listen to this show, so just <laughs> let me let me tell you, dude. You put something on the internet, it's not going to be a secret. If you email pictures of something, it's going to eventually get out. And if you try to deny it, there's going to be irrefutable proof that you did it. So don't do that. You got some spectacularly bad judgment. I'm not worried, Wiener that you're maybe dishonest. I'm not worried that maybe you're a freak in the bedroom. But what I'm worried about is you're, you seem ill-equipped to handle technology and you ought to be looking for a different kind of job, dude. Yeah, well, That's I mean, all. personal proclivities aside, don't you want people in positions of leadership to be just a little more savvy than that? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm making don't decisions wanna... about, oh, I don't know, nuclear reactors or Abrams fighting vehicles or things like that. Or For even, God's sakes, have or your head even, wrapped around Twitter. Even educational policies in schools. I want a guy who's not dumb enough to send out pictures of his junk on the internet. Unless it's his thing. 
if if it's going to be like part of your campaign, yeah, I'm saying a wiener for Congress. I'm sending out pictures of my wiener as a, like a promotional thing. Okay. Like, like back to the, what was it, the wiener in every email? <laughs> and a a wiener in every inbox. That would be clever. <laughs> and a chicken in every pot right there. A wiener in every chicken is what he would probably end up doing. That's good. <laughs> and then, you know, I guess somebody else would then run on the cock blocker ticket. <laughs> I think they would. They probably would. Keep Wiener out of our school. I can see. <laughs> this guy, of all people, should have known. Yeah, he should have known. I mean, my last name is Calkins. Okay, Cock. Yeah, Cock. I get it. Calkins. <laughs> and I've never emailed a picture of my junk to anyone. Not even Steve. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> no email is big enough to contain me. <laughs> All right, moving on. You only get 140 characters. I don't think I can fit that in a Twitter. I've uh, got a little uh, feedback this week. Speaking of Vaughn, he called in again. Oh, God. Hey, guys, it's Vaughn again. You guys were talking about Glee on the last show, and I'm not a fan of it. Now, I'll explain why. Me and my wife had a couple friends over for dinner. You know, uh, my best friend Jason and his boyfriend Danny. And, you know, they wanted to cut it, sh- cut it short, so we ate dinner early, and they were like, oh, we're going to leave around 7.30 because we wanted to get home to watch Glee. And we really didn't want them to leave because we like spending time with them. We like having them around. And they're like, you know what? You guys just stay. First off, they didn't have a DVR. Who the fuck doesn't have a DVR now? Like, seriously. Who watches TV as it happens? I don't even do that when I watch whatever TV shows I do watch. I watch very few. I watch them a couple days afterwards. You know, it's crazy. Anyway, so... They're like, okay, we'll stay up. You want to watch it with us? And we're like, eh. We never, both of us are not really into musicals, but we like Rocky Horror. And this is the reason why they were like, you know, because we know you guys like Rocky Horror because it was the Rocky Horror episode they were actually showing. And this is the reason why they really wanted to get home and see it. And my friend Jason really isn't like a huge fan of it, but he watches it with Danny because it's something they do together. You know, he'll just sit there on the computer while Danny watches. I do the same thing with my wife. You guys probably do the same things with yours. So we watched it. And it was a horrible piece of shit. Like, not just the fact that they pretty much fucking uh, castrated the songs from Rocky Horror, you know, but they killed, like, a good amount of, like, the pizzazz and the sexuality that's in that show. They kind of completely neutered it. And most of the songs that they used, they neutered the hell out of them. So I think the whole show that was going on around it was about them trying to put the show on and their high school kids and what would that show to... High schoolers, you're putting on Rocky Horror. When I seen play productions of it in college, when I was college age, and in the last five or six years at colleges, uh, with, you know, 18, 19-year-old kids doing the part, I don't think it really is that shocking anymore, that show. I think there's, there's much more shocking shit going on in the world than Rocky Horror nowadays. And I think it should be considered a, a, a right piece of lexicon for the American uh, musical uh, genre that he should be able to be put into high schools full-on, even with all the kind of sexuality and everything that else is going on there. But it was just a really terrible show, and they had, like, cameos from, like, I think Milo shows up, and I forget who else. I think the guy who played Brad. I can't think of his name offhand. But they show up, and just in, like, a small little scene. And you're like, really? That's it? Like, it was just terrible. And because it's, like, an hour-long show. First, it's an hour long. Why do you need so much fucking time? And they laughed, and were like, yeah... Let's, next time we have them over, let's make sure it's not on the night Lee's on. You know, even though we would love them too dearly, but I don't think we will ever de- deal with that fucking show again. Because it's just 
was so goddamn terrible. Like, it took something that me and my wife truly love, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and completely made us rethink about our whole opinions on the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know, that's how terrible it was. I mean, we have gone and seen it. We watched the movie again a couple months ago and still love the fucking thing. Even though, of course, still out with her on Shock Treatment, the sequel to it. Uh, that's a film I fucking love. And we have, I think last October, we saw a rendition of it by one of the local um, music houses here. You know, an avant-garde troupe did, uh, did the whole thing, and they did it with the interaction set up. So you have the whole musical going on with people interacting with the musical, like throwing shit and stacking like maniacs. It's a really good time. But that's pretty much all I have to say. Yeah, Glee is a definite fucking pass for me. Game of Thrones I still haven't seen. Maybe I'll wait until the DVD comes out because it's too far gone now. I have HBO, but just the way HBO replays things, and I don't feel like DVR and the whole thing kind of powering through it like I did with uh, The Walking Dead, which I didn't like at all. Actually, I kind of like, but it just kind of went downhill for me. I talked about that on my own show. Anyway, that's all my opinions on Glee. I hope you guys are doing well, and uh, I'll talk to you guys uh, some other time. All right, bye-bye. Jesus Christ. He talked about Glee like four times longer than we did on the show. Did, and he talked about Rocky Horror Picture Show about infinity times longer than I even care about it. <laughs> you know something? I This is probably going to piss off a lot of the, the horror nerd fans, but I've never been a huge fan of Rocky Horror either. For me, all the Rocky Horror I need is in the Time Warp video. That's like about three minutes of time warp is enough Rocky Horror, and I, I'm good. I, I find that song entertaining. The video's fun to watch. But beyond that, I've seen the movie, and it just doesn't do much for me. I saw it in a theater when I was like 17. It was fun. It was different. And then I really didn't need to do it ever again. That was enough. Yeah, yeah I'm kind of the same way. So uh, an episode of Glee based on that, I think Vaughn summed it up perfectly. It was a horrible piece of shit. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't have to watch that. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, why don't we just uh, kick over to some music? This is the Pine Box Boys and Live Brains.
right. This once again is Steve at Crypticon Seattle 2011, and I am so honored right now to be speaking to Linnea Quigley, Trash, from one of my favorite films of all time, Return of the Living Dead. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Bone Bat Show. Well, thank you for coming over here and feeling me up and uh, having me on the show. <laughs> Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Now, you know, it's kind of funny. We were just watching Return of the Living Dead again the other night. Uh And as a 16-year-old boy, your scene in the graveyard was, oh, my God, she's so hot. And when I see it now as a 40-year-old man, I'm, wow, that poor girl must be so cold. I know. <laughs> Clearly I'm getting old. Not that you're not still hot, but I've totally flipped my opinion of, like, how I see that scene. Well, you've learned about how films are made now. It's, like, not, you know, all, like, you know, what it's supposed to be looking like. You know, people are right. freezing or way too and, hot. Yeah, and, wet yeah, and in the mud. Wet, yes. Oh, God, yeah. That was... Actually, the, the chainsaw... I mean, not the chainsaw. That's another movie where I'm dancing... The Tombstone Dance was actually a great day because there was no rain machines, the weather was nice, I was warm, so it was like perfect. Uh The only bad thing was the road flares with the sulfur coming right up into my face when they're going around with the little flames and stuff, you know, but... It was, it was great. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because seeing that graveyard scene, it was so well realized in such a great scene. When I found out where that was actually shot, I was really surprised. I know. It was an olive garden in Simi Valley, which wasn't that far from my house, which was great. You know, and um, the art direction, I mean, was amazing. And to think that, that was only made for $2 million, done on 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm. By Dan O'Bannon and like just the best cast, I, I think, an ensemble. It was amazing. You know, one of the things I, for me that really makes that film work is the the level of humor in it. And what I like is that it is different types of humor. You have the very broad humor of James Karen, you know. Yes. Do you want to see the bodies? And you have like your very dry delivery. Oh, let's do that. You know, yes. I mean, it, it was just in the, kind of the insults amongst the group. And the black humor of, okay, we're going to nuke the whole thing. Yes. And all that mixed in such a, a really a nice soup of yeah. the film, you know? You start feeling for each character. Like, in, you know, you start to identify with certain characters in the film. Like, you know, Suicide, you know, who's like, it's a way of life, you know? And, mm-hmm. you know, as an adult, you watch it and you think, you know, it's only going to last for a few years. What are you going to do when you're, you know, out in the world and, you know trying to get jobs and, and sustain yourself but you know when you watch it when you're a teenager you're just like yeah I want to be that yeah you absolutely feel yes. that and I, you know probably some of that's like the punk rock vibe that the film has yes and with you know the soundtrack being such a great big part of the film itself was music a presence on the set when you were filming it or was it just kind of the punk no. rock fashion no it was just the punk rock fashion we had no idea what they would do with the music or with the movie we didn't know if we were doing a comedy. We didn't know what drama. Um, you know, Dan was just brilliant that way. Mm-hmm. It, it was like we just did what we did, That's and it it worked. The the other thing that I've learned recently, uh, reading the book, uh, the complete history of the Return of the Living Dead is that there, there was kind of some strife on the scene amongst the production crew. As an actress on the film, was that transparent to you, or did you see that every day? I didn't see it every day. I saw it every now and then, like just different things that would happen. Um, Dan was fighting, you know, to get the movie made. They were fighting to keep the money down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like you could tell Dan was very, very stressed. Mm-hmm. So it, it was crazy. 
<laughs> so, really crazy. So what scenes to this day still stick with you most? I think... I've never watched the half dog, you know, because I'm like an animal rights person. I've never watched that, the half split dog. But the scenes that stick with me the most are probably when the skeleton comes up and goes, let's party, you know. That, like, gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. It does. And I think um, probably the other scene that I really like is when they're going to get the corpse out. And, you know, James Karen is like, oh, I don't want to open the door, you know, and it runs right at Clue, you know, who's hiding. Right, yeah. And, you know, they're spraying Lysol and, and, you know. And then the other scene, there's one more scene, James Karen, I almost cry when they play that music yep. and he puts his wedding ring on the crematorium. Burn the Flames by it's Rocky just Erickson. like that, yeah. almost like just brings me to tears every time. It did, yeah, that, that scene has always stuck yeah. with me as well. And it yes. made me pursue that guy's music afterwards. Yes. Because that was, He's you know, good. such a compelling scene. Yeah, you can feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Can. Cool. Uh, a friend of mine asked a question, didn't like me to ask you. Out of all the ways you've been killed in a film, is there any way that you're favorite, and is there any way that you haven't been killed but would like to be? Oh, my God. Um, hmm. Let's see. Well, the antlers were pretty interesting in Silent Night, Deadly Night. That was an interesting way. And um, I, I don't really know if I... I like to stay alive. I, I don't really like being killed that much. Um, I like that probably, philosophy. Probably maybe a Scarface-type death would be an interesting way, you know, where you are just, like, take, like... A hundred shots, you know, and you're still going. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, what's next for you? What are you working on now? I'm producing with Joe Hollow, The Disciples, and doing Mountain of the Flesh Eaters. And I'm doing, with Victor Bonacore, a, uh, a band that's just going to be signed, Sexcrement. I'm doing a music video and finishing Blood Wings and doing some more cons. Mm-hmm. And if you go to www. LinneaQuigleyScreamTime.com It'll tell you where I'm at and the movies I'm doing. And Stripperland, shot in Seattle, is internationally out now, I guess. Oh, cool. Fantastic. And it's fun. All right. Well, one last question. We always ask all of our guests on the okay. Bat Show. Linnea, what pisses you off? When people say, God bless you, <laughs> I, I just, I, I hate that. I, I just don't like it. <laughs> Why, because it sounds like bullshit or because... It's like they want me to say something back to them. <laughs> Or something, and I'm Wiccan, and it's like, I just, I don't like it. It's like, why do I need to be blessed, you know? (laughs) All right, well, thank you so much for joining me. I really had a great time talking to you. Oh, you too. Oh, my gosh, get those hands off my breasts. (laughs) (laughs) All right, once again, thank you to Linnea Quigley for the interview. That was a lot of fun. It was really cool to chat with her. She's great. I've been a fan for a really long time. I'm Ever pretty since she sure she took off all her clothes in exactly. Return of the Living Dead. I'm pretty sure we saw Return of the Living Dead together, didn't we? I know we did. Yeah. So wow, that goes way back. Yeah. 1985. Holy shit. We were so young and innocent. We were. Well, you were innocent. Well, one of us was. Yeah. Anyway, so Crypticon in Seattle, 2011. Uh, it was over Memorial Day weekend, uh, three days. I actually was on a few panels this time. You know uh, what I was on? What? I was on the floor of my house pulling out staples. You know, Sorry. people are already tired of hearing about that. Like, I'm tired of glee. Okay. Uh. <laughs> so, Crypticon went on Friday. I was on a few panels. Uh, it was really cool. I actually got to be on a panel. It was called Touring the World of Horror 
with Sean the Butcher Smithson from twitchfilm.com and Phil Nutman, who's like this a scholar. He's also an author. He wrote a zombie novel called Wet Work, but he's also a scholar on like hammer horror films and amicus films, like British horror. And to listen, scholar, huh? yeah, the listen, he's just encyclopedic knowledge of everything that those movie houses ever did. And it's just really fascinating to listen to that guy and to to kind of be on a panel with those guys talking about all that's going on in horror around the world. That was like really a thrill for me. The only bummer was that like only six people showed up for it, but it was (laughs) apparently I'm not much of a draw. That's what I I, I learned. My takeaway. (laughs) Did anyone have you sign their breasts or anything? No, no, nothing like that. But it was it was really cool. It was there was a lot of great information there. And I found out about a bunch of movies that uh, I want to check out. So that was really cool. And then uh, there was also a podcasting panel that night, which was pretty fun, with uh, Reverend Enfuego, who is on the BJ Shea Show. He's an actual real radio guy here in Seattle. And he has a, a podcast called Undead Radio. And uh, Jeff Dean and Willie Greer, who are uh, from Portland, and they do a show called Horror Holocaust Radio, which is a really cool kind of mix of you know, both playing soundtrack music and different tunes, horror-themed tunes, and then on top of it, kind of film discussion. Again, that was another really fun panel to be on, but there just Friday night, I think the traffic was kind of down. And it wasn't until Saturday until really a lot of people started showing up and we got a little better attendance and that sort of thing. But it was still really fun to be on those things and, you know, having those discussions. That was kind of cool. So then I went home and uh, came back Saturday, raring to go. And uh, Saturday was interesting. I, I was on a couple of panels. I went to a couple of panels, but I was kind of trying to accomplish some stuff for the show. And I spent a lot of time trying to get things done that didn't happen. And I ended up missing quite a bit of content because of it, which was kind of a bummer. Well, that's too bad. So it was a little bit of a disappointment, but... Why were you so ineffective? I don't know. I, th- I think that's just me in a nutshell, frankly, but... <laughs> Get out of the nutshell. Keep but, telling yeah. you that. Steve, uh, at, at one point, the finally, nutshell. the frustration had just got enough of me. And they, they had this thing called the Haunt-A-Pillar, which was put on by a number of the haunts that we visited here on the Bone Bat Show on our Halloween episodes. Dark Hollow Haunted Forest was there. Let me see. Nightmare Beaver Lake was there. Haunted Nightmare was there. And they each did like a section of a haunted house. And there were six of them. And you could walk through it. And so finally I ran into Mark Ronner, who's the, uh, one of the writers from Rotten Comics, and we went through the haunted house, and I just kind of started feeling better about things after that. I hooked up with Dusty Peterson, who did the art for this episode. If you download this off of iTunes, go to the Bonebat homepage, bonehand.com slash bonebat, and check out the piece of art Dusty did for this show. It is it. so fucking cool. So then Dusty and I decided to go out and have a few drinks, and... Something that I was not familiar with, but kind of became familiar with at Norwest Con, was like there's this whole party subculture at cons of where like these there's these companies that will host room parties. And so they'll play music and it'll have different themes and you can get kind of cheap liquor there. And so we, we kind of, Dusty and I didn't know where to go. And there's kind of a downstairs bar that was kind of boring. So we ended up going into this kind of intergalactic bank of Timbuktu party. Which, <laughs> Wait, Intergalactic Bank of Timbuk. Okay. Yeah, so we go in and like they're explaining to us like this convoluted thing of how you can bid intergalactic dollars and you can post things for drawings and then they have like an auction later and then you can like win items off of this, 
you know, thing. And we're kind of, you know, both standing there puzzled and we're like, but so we can drink, though? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a couple of drinks, and, you know, there were scantily clad women pouring the beverages for us, which was... Well, that's nice. Yeah, so, you know, it was kind of happening, and I had a few drinks there. They closed down that room for some sort of a slave auction, which I still don't quite know what that was. Wait, and there was a Yeah, there was another party going along along the way. It was put on by Biohazard. Went over there and had a few, like, I don't know, I had rum and Coke, and there were people walking around with, like, these vials of... Something that looked like what the guy was carrying in Reanimator. Some kind of green glowing stuff that you could drink. And, and yeah, had a few cocktails. And I was all ready for my next panel at 10 p.m., which was zombies. And uh, it was so funny because this, this panel was right outside the biohazard party. So it was the loudest, most raucous zombie panel you've ever heard. Were there scantily clad girls there, too? There was not. Oh. But that's okay, because there's a bunch of really cool people. Again, Mark Ronner was there. Brother D from Mail Order Zombie was there. Uh, Reverend Enfuego was there. And it was just kind of a cool scene to, you know, be sitting there and answering questions about zombies. And while well, you have this, this loud, throbbing music going to the background. <laughs> and, like, at one point, they were playing a techno version of the, the theme from Super Mario Brothers on the Game Boy. Yeah. And I looked down the table and, like, everybody's head's bumping. (laughs) (laughs) It was just fun. So then uh, that pretty much wrapped up Saturday. And then Sunday for me was was the best day of the bunch. Uh, We started off. I took my daughter to Crypticon. She joined me last year, and uh, she came again this year and checked things out. She's kind of getting at that age where she's getting into horror, so it's kind of fun for her. Uh, Yeah, she likes horror? Yeah. As a matter of fact, well, let's talk about this in a second, because we, we've been kind of indoctrinating her a little bit, so I'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, we went to, uh, there was a really great panel on horror music that, uh, again, Brother D from Mail Order Zombie was on, and Sean the Butcher Smithson, Tom Carnell, who I believe is another writer for Fangoria. And uh, they just had, like, a great, great selections of soundtrack stuff and music by bands and, you know, metal stuff, and it was just right up my alley, and it was a... A very cool thing to kind of hear, you know, there was a few choices there again that I hadn't heard before, so that was pretty cool. And then uh, I got a chance to do my interviews. We hit the dealer room and bought a few items, and then we hit the road. So overall, it was a lot of fun. I, I think next year I'd like to see, it seemed like there was less of a kind of emphasis on film. Like, I kind of feel like that con, there should always be a movie running somewhere, like a cheesy horror movie. And there were times where I had like, you know, 30 minutes to kill and it would have been nice to just duck in and watch a little bit of a low budget feature before the next thing I had to do. But, you know, so that's something I'd like to see next year. The dealer room, too, this year, I think last year when they had the dealer room in an underground car park, I think that that kind of hurt them because it seemed like the dealer room this year didn't have is quite the same level of good stuff there wasn't as many like cool horror dvds and imports and stuff like that for sale there was other cool stuff but it just seemed like the dealer room wasn't as fleshed out so i hope that's a little better next year as well but overall it was definitely a good time and it was a lot of fun kind of hanging out with people that i I don't see that often so but yeah so talking about nobbing with the celebs man so so your daughter she's she's getting into horror she's she's more into horror well here's the thing about for the last month she's been bugging us to see paranormal activity and i don't know why you know none of her friends have seen it if she saw a trailer or what but she really wants to see that movie and it's rated r you know she hasn't seen any rated r movies before and so i was kind of you know hesitant 
that, you know, she's not quite of the age for that. But it's not a movie where there's like a lot of sex or anything like that. So, you know, perhaps it might not be a bad one. But first, I kind of wanted to say, okay, if you can handle Poltergeist, yeah, then, then I think that you'll be fine. And we showed her Drag Me to Hell. And that kind of, she, she thought that was just too gross. <laughs> that was a great movie. I know. I love that movie. And so we watched Poltergeist. And she was fine with it. You know, that night she went to sleep, no problem, didn't have any trouble. Uh, you know, no no stress about it. And so the next night, last Saturday, we Julie and I sat up and we watched uh, Paranormal Activity with her. And she, she watched it like a champ. She, you know, had her blanket pulled up to her eyes the whole time while she was watching it. But uh, afterwards we went to bed and she went right to sleep, no problem. So she's, she's definitely getting a little bit of a, the flavor of horror. She likes that stuff. And that, that's, that's kind good. of that's healthy. It's kind of fun. It is healthy, but you know, man, I'm starting her down a nerdy road. You know, yeah. Well, she didn't really have much hope, dude. <laughs> when some guy in college says, "Hey, do you like horror movies?" and she breaks his fucking head in two with like Suspiria or something, <laughs> 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 uh, she may not be thanking me when when that day comes. But it's a, a fun thing to share with her. I, I am enjoying that. So, speaking of which, at the convention. I was able to get signed, autographed copies of Return of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 to give away here on the show. I want the Return of the Living Dead. No, you can't have it. <laughs> it's for the listeners. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We have a new uh, Facebook page. What if I listen to the show? They're doing that now. You, you should try that sometime. I hear it's good. So go to the Facebook page and just post on there. Give us a like if you want. You don't have to. But... Uh, yes, you do. Okay, yes, you do. You have to like us first. But go to the page and just post the word either trash or chop top. And then out of all the people who post trash, I will draw one of those names. Out of all the people who post chop top, I will draw one of those names. So you can't win both of them. Just try to win one or the other that you're, you know, is your favorite or that you don't have. I mean, a lot of people are horror fans, and they might have one or both of these movies already, but not in autographed DVD form. So That's, that's right. Cool. Autographed. So, yeah, post on the Facebook. We will draw it just before we record the next episode, and I will send it out shortly thereafter. And you'll be big winners, and you'll impress your friends, and everybody will love you. So, dude, how about another tune? How about a tune? What are we going to listen to now? There was just so much blood. So much blood. The telephone lines are down. There's no one left in town I figure everybody drowned There was just so much blood The horizon's red and the sky's gray The bridges are all washed away I figured there'd be hell to pay But I've never seen so much blood Miss Mary shinnied up a tree Branch broke, she floated free Went down four times and came up three There was just so much blood No one left to offer proof For those that made it to the roofs Died of horror when they learned the truth that there could be so much blood 
much blood I'd have called you before I couldn't get to the door I slipped on the floor There was just so much blood sticker in the ground on the graveyard at the edge of town the clouds burst and it all came down there was just so much blood coffins bobbed around like boats the crow sang a sour note and I didn't even have a coat there was just so much blood I guess no one saw the signs They said the rain would do us fine I bet they didn't have this in mind There was just so much blood And it filled my human heart with dread Clouds had finally bled Looked like someone had painted Venice red There was just so much blood There was just so much blood I'd have called you before I couldn't get to the door And I slipped on the floor There was just so much blood Hi, this is Bill Mosley Star of Devil's Rejects, House of a Thousand Corpses, Texas Chainsaw 2, and Repo, the genetic opera. And you're listening to Bone Bad. 
All right, once again, that was Blood from Tales from the Emancipated Head by the Pine Box Boys. And once again, joining us is the esteemed gentleman undertaker, guitar breaker, and mischief maker, Lester T. Raw. How you doing, sir? Well, I'm doing fine. I'm just opening the gate for the mandolin player. He has the beer. We don't care if he has a mandolin or not. <laughs> the question is, did he bring enough beer? Carrie, the question is, did you bring enough beer? You know, they call him Savvy Carrie, so he ain't savvy for nothing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, his, his question is, enough beer for what? <laughs> it's Savvy Carrie Cook, by the way. If you've never heard his other band, Kimasabi, they're just one of the other best bands in San Francisco. They're awesome. One of the other best bands. Got it. Oh, yeah, there's a handful. <laughs> We ain't screwing around out here, man. We're playing pretty good. No, no, SF is full weak of for a while. Believe me, it was it was weak. I'm not saying that, you know, like we've been hanging off, like we've been riding the Jerry's coattails for a long time out here. <laughs> oh yeah, well Jefferson Airplane's from her. <laughs> Janis Joplin's from her. Yeah, dude. Well, you know, you know, the Grateful Dead, man. I live down the street from where the Grateful Dead used to do acid. You know, so. We've actually done some music since then. That's true. Uh, that's good to hear. There have been a couple decent bands between the Dead and, and present time from San Francisco. I, I think, but Dead I'm Kennedys. I'm glad that somebody noticed. <laughs> but I wonder if you're thinking of the same one I am. I was thinking of the Dead Kennedys. Who are you thinking of? <laughs> that's exactly who I'd say. <laughs> uh, Emancipated Head was recorded in the same room where Jello and the boys used to record all of the Dead Kennedy stuff. No wow. shit. The funny thing is, it's the same room where CCR recorded four albums, and uh, American Beauty was also recorded. And since you just played Blood, I, I assume some of the dripping water got into the recording. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Our uh, our producer is is at one point. I mean, it's a lot of sloshing and buckets. I mean, we did sixteen tracks of just sloshing water around, but there's at least a portion in there where uh, the the producer. Is uh, is urinating into a bucket, <laughs> and the thing is, the whole time he's like doing it, we're like doing the take, and we're trying not to laugh as as he whips it out and starts pissing into a bucket while we're all sloshing <laughs> water bottles around. And I start thinking, and this this almost this almost killed the whole session because if I started laughing, it would have ruined everything. I started thinking, I was like, man, that's right where John Fogarty stood. <laughs> that started cracking me up and I just had to had to just suck it up you know like do not laugh you know that brings a whole new meaning to have you ever seen the rain <laughs> exactly <laughs> well you know if he didn't see it his ghost is going to at some point <laughs> so I gotta say man I am absolutely fucking loving Tales from the Emancipated Head this is such a great CD I told you I did it for you and for folks like you, but you know, I mean, it's it's for horror fans, of course. Did you see the room org right up? I did not. You got it. Yeah, do... we're in the we're in the current the current room org. They did a really nice write up of the album, and and I gotta tell you, I mean, you know, I, I love room org. That's that's how I find out about stuff. So to have them actually take note of the album was uh, was a thrill that's fantastic yeah it, it's a nice mix of different sounds different styles but it's definitely like a tour through a haunted house you just get, did a great job of a recurring theme it is a horror fan it just tickles me in all the right places oh good that's like i said that's who this one's for 
When you said you'd recorded for Steve, I thought you were saying that you recorded for self-centered assholes from oh, Seattle. Oh, come on now. <laughs> this is no time for you to start pouting. <laughs> when I say y'all, I guess I should have I should have said I recorded it for y'all. And all okay. y'all know who I'm talking about. When the album occurred to me, we were playing the Ink and Iron Festival a couple years ago down in Long Beach. And, man, there were so many great hearses and old Cadillacs and all, and, you know, and I was just like, you know, these are the people I want to do a record for. You know, and that's that's what it is, and that's, uh, that's why we didn't rush it, and we put it out when we were ready, and there you go. That's the one, man. It's for you guys who like 52 hearses. I got to ask, on the tune Pretty Little Girl, which, incidentally, is also my daughter's favorite tune on the disc. Oh, dear. <laughs> What are you doing with your voice? That resonant thing. That is fantastic. It sounds like Tuvan uh, throat singing or something. That is is precisely what it is. Also, uh, I exhibit my particular Tuvan throat singing talent on uh, on our second album, Stab, mm-hmm. uh, before the song Will You Remember Me. And, uh, you know, I, I learned that from, from a Tuvan himself, uh, Alexander Bapa, who... Uh, who brought Tregilchin and, and Hunter to, to uh, the United States. I met him here in San Francisco, and there was a piano nearby, and he just he just showed me how to do it. <laughs> we didn't have hardly, you know, four words between us with which we could communicate, mm. but we had a piano, and so he taught me how to throat sing. Yeah, it's such a, a unique sound, and it really brings that song home, too, I think. Oh, thank you, thank you. I uh, I don't use it too often, but when I do, I uh, I try to use it for good effect. Mm. Well, it pushes that song to a, a real mystical, you know, spiritual level too. I mean, it is it is sort well, of. Well, a... let me tell you this. I gotta, and let me just say this is a caveat for anybody out there that's trying to learn how to do the tube and throat singing. I had this this idea in my head. I'm like, man, I bet when you learn how to tube and throat sing, where you're singing three notes at one time. But then you get instant enlightenment, and it didn't happen. <laughs> I was like, well, I can sing three notes, but I ain't any smarter than I was two minutes ago. <laughs> it's actually the cool thing about Tuva and throat singing, you know, that's Hank Williams to them. The guys out in Tuva who are the masters of that kind of music, they're truck drivers. Really? Right on. Yeah, that is truck driver music out there, so that makes it doubly cool. Wow. So another tune that, that I really dig and I can't wait to hear you guys play live is, of course, Live Brains. Seems like it's going to be just a raucous live cut. Oh, yeah, it already is. Man, we took that over to Europe when we were out there uh, recently. And, you know, it was one of those things. We were only there for 10 days. You know, by about day three, people were showing up yelling for that song and knew the words. Or at least they knew the right spot to sing Live Brains. Out loud. <laughs> nice. And I take it you guys are fans of Return of the Living Dead. Right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, good, good, good. Because, I mean, it's a specific reference to the end of that movie. So how did the European tour go? I was I thought that was really cool that you managed to get over there. Yeah, well, it's the fifth time we've been over there. Um, it's a good market for us. You know, I mean, the folks over there, they know they know pure bluegrass. And they know we are not that. <laughs> and and yet, unlike in the States where the purists just absolutely shun us as if we were lepers, mm-hmm. and we kind of smell like that, so I don't blame them. But, uh, <laughs> but, but here in the States, you know, the bluegrass folks will shun us, and over there in Europe, they're like, this is a wonderful addition. This is 
nice to listen to in addition to bluegrass. So we we got a great crowd over there, and um, yeah, we'll we'll go back whenever they want us. And they do they pick up the songs. I mean, you know, you go to a place like Belgium or you go to Holland, like they know they know English over there. You know, it's not like one of those places you're like, man, if I show up and I don't know how to speak Dutch. Am I going to be able to get around town? No, that ain't a problem. These guys, they know Monty Python inside and out. (laughs) So what other tour plans do you have going on in the near future? Well, no, we're actually, you know, we're working on a, we're not really touring so much anymore. uh, We're doing specific dates in areas when things come up. Uh, So like surgical strikes. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, as I was mentioning before, three out of four Pine Box boys are currently employed, and this is a good thing. <laughs> so um, <laughs> while that's going on, we're not going back out uh, on the road, actually, until, like, yeah, I think it's December. I mean, there's dates and things, mm. you know, throughout the summer, but what we're doing this summer is we're actually we're recording the uh, the Christmas EP. <laughs> yeah, we go into the studio in July, and... Uh, you know what it is? It's going to be something where you can get, you know, onto the onto the online store at uh, pineboxboys.com, and yeah, you can either send a Christmas card to yourself, which will come with the download codes, or you can buy a box of Christmas cards and send them out to friends, or you can just from the website send a few out, however you want to do it, you know. But in any case, each one of the Christmas cards comes with the download code for the EP. Very cool. Well, I, can, I don't yeah, know. I can. Yeah, I I can tell you, some of the music, this is not for the kids, that is for sure. <laughs> I think I could use a little Pine Box Boys during the holidays. That will turn things around for me. That's exactly what we were thinking. Uh, a buddy of mine, well, the guy that produced Stab back in Arkansas, he was telling me, he's like, man, this is a golden opportunity. He says, you don't need to mess it up. He says, make sure you title the album the Pine Box Boys sing a slaying song tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We laughed a whole lot, but man, I mean, 24 hours later, that title is still going through my head. Yeah. And that might be the right idea. Yeah. I was thinking sleigh bells myself. So that's perfect. (laughs) Not too many years ago, I I made a uh, compilation uh, disc for, for all my friends at Christmas time. It was full of inappropriate Christmas music. Yeah, and I've got a, really, I've got a, a playlist on my iTunes of stuff like that because I do hate Christmas music, but I kind of like acknowledging that it's Christmas. So I like like you know Dennis Leary singing about Christmas. <laughs> yeah, sure. I still like the McKenzie Brothers. Yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, you know Black Flag. They did Fuck Christmas. Oh, that's, yeah, that's sure. always a classic. If you're good and drunk, it's it's a perfect time to put on the Pogues, you know, uh, yeah. Fairy Tale of New York. Yeah, then that, but that's a grand weeper. Sure. That's a, closer to I, I New Year's Day when Santa you're Claus. feeling miserable. I saw Mommy Blowing Santa Claus. That's another one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Anyway. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> he had money, and I was asking for more presents. <laughs> <laughs> Let's it just say out. he came down the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, oh, this is a classy show. I can yeah, tell. Absolutely. That's why you join us every now and again, isn't it? <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us here on the show. What are we going to listen to next? Well, you're going to do Pretty Little Girl. Yes, we are. There we go.
la 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 Some tea and have a cookie. I'm so glad you came to play. You are such a pretty little girl, and it is such a pretty day. I am such a pretty little girl. I am it, and you are ten. How rude your teacup! It's all empty. Let me fill it. Just. And spidery, how it seems my hair doth swallow all the light that shines from thee. Your eyes are droopy. Are you sleepy? Maybe you should take some tea. Just another sip or two. Enjoy this lovely day with me. You ate the cookies. There's just one. I wish you. This is Linnea Quigley, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. It's a statement. All right, once again, this is Steve with The Bone Bat Show, and I'm here with Bill Mosley, veteran of over 50 genre films, including two incredible, iconic roles, Chop Top and Otis. Be uh, Driftwood, right? Yeah, that's right. From... Obviously, uh, Devil's Rejects. Yeah. It's a pleasure to speak with you, sir. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you very much. Nice to be here. Uh, nice to be in Seattle, and uh, nice to be uh, sitting behind a table in good old Crypticon. <laughs> One of the things that I kind of noticed looking over your career that I thought was really cool, as a small-town boy myself, that there's such a really distinctive American flavor to your 
over overall and I thought that that was a really neat thing it's almost like a, a great survey of the American slasher is there anything specific that draws you to those type of roles uh, they offer me money <laughs> which is always nice yeah, exactly. absolutely so it is a profession but um, I, you know I, I just somehow seem to be able to connect with uh, the horror and the humor of a lot of these uh, backwoods characters I don't know why that is, uh, but it's something that uh, really uh, I do have a lot of fun with. You know, most of my roles, uh, that uh, more the more memorable ones, uh, really have that uh, have a great sense of humor to them, and that uh, that I, I insist on it. I also uh, play them as though I'm the only sane one in the in the world, and uh, that that helps a lot too. Mm-hmm. Well, I know, like in a scene when uh, Chop Top is first introduced to Stretch in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. There's this certain kind of unease, like you don't know what that guy's going to do. And we've all had a situation where you bump up against somebody and, you know, usually it doesn't end in anything disturbing, but you just, you kind of don't know what they're about and it makes you nervous. And that's the thing with the number of your characters, there's just like a, an air of menace before you turn it up, which is super effective and creepy. Well, I think it just comes down to, you know, the idea that anything can happen at any time. And that uh, a lot of people are uh, wrapped in different ways, uh, some more tightly than others. You know, with, uh, with Chop Top, with Otis, uh, Luigi Largo from Repo, the genetic opera for that matter. You're afraid that anything can set them off. And uh, I think that adds to the surprise of the characters and the excitement of the fans, mm-hmm. the audience. You know, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and House of a Thousand Corpses, there was kind of a more a more fun flavor to it. And when you get to Devil's Rejects, that film's kind of a kick in the stomach. Because, you know, you see a, a scene like the motel room invasion with Priscilla Barnes, which is maybe one of the most disturbing scenes I can think of in memory. You know, that one really got to me. But then a certain cinematic alchemy happens after the torture by the sheriff you have this glorious end where you're almost rooting for the Firefly family again <laughs> which is, you know, Rob Zombie's done a number on you as a, as a viewer Well, I think that's more of a testament to, to Rob's uh, genius too as a filmmaker certainly uh, in Devil's Rejects where, where you can go from uh, one extreme to the other in uh, less than 90 minutes and uh, end up rooting for the Fireflies and the Driftwoods for that matter Yeah um, you know, it's funny because I think with Devil's Rejects, too, I mean, the, the, the thing that makes it such a memorable movie is that the characters do have heart to them. Mm-hmm. And even though there's a, not a lot of logic or compassion for other people, I think there's a very strong sense of family. Uh, there's a playfulness between uh, Captain Spaulding and Baby and Otis. Yeah, they go out for ice cream, damn it. Exactly. Although, i got to say, that was one of the few places in the script where I disagreed with Rob. I, I still don't think that uh, I, as Otis Driftwood, I, I didn't think that uh, Captain Spaulding and Baby convinced me enough to stop for ice cream. <laughs> and I finally said to Rob, I said, why, why would I stop? And he said, just, it's in the script. <laughs> so that was my motivation. <laughs> there you go, sure. supposed to. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, again, I think that's what really makes these characters is you have to have some kind of connection to the audience. They have to be able to identify, not obviously completely, but uh, certainly in part, because that's what then makes them interested in the character. If you're just uh, totally self-contained or just so you know, inhuman that uh, there really isn't that uh, an identity, I don't think people are really that interested in the character. Then. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Yeah. Now, in addition to your incredible film career, 
you've also had a pretty amazing music career. All the way back to Primus quoting you in Jerry Was a Race Car Driver to uh, your band Cornbugs with Buckethead, just a stunning guitarist. How did you get hooked up with him? Buckethead was a Chainsaw 2 fan, and uh, I met him in the early 90s in Los Angeles. He came to a play that I was in, a play uh, incidentally called Timothy and Charlie, where I played. It was a, a fictional night between uh, Timothy Leary and Charles Manson, and I played Timothy Leary. And uh, the actor playing Charles Manson uh, was a friend of Buckethead's, and I invited him to come to the show and, and meet me because Buckethead was a big fan of uh, Chainsaw movies. And uh, we got together, we, we talked, we liked each other. Uh, Buckethead invited me to come down to uh, somebody's uh, makeshift studio uh, down in Santa Monica, California the following day or a couple days later. Was happy to do it, did it, uh, had fun playing with him. And uh, just improvising stuff, chop top stuff. Buckethead on the, uh, the guitar, and uh, that started about a 10-year friendship, and we uh, had a band called the Cornbugs. Uh, I think we ended up putting out about uh, five CDs worth of material, a couple of uh, DVDs, and I just had a great time collaborating. Uh, we got along so well that uh, we never did a second take of any of our songs. We uh, made the really? spot. Sometimes I'd bring lyrics, and... Uh, uh, other times I just make the lyrics up too on the spot, and um, so none of our songs ever had a second take. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and he's such a you know creative guy, yeah. and he has such a mastery of his instrument and all of the effects and everything that he can bring to the table. To have that sort of an arsenal to work with, that must have been pretty cool. You know, it was a lot of fun, and also he has a great sensibility, a very weird, twisted creature uh, like I am, and so... Uh, we certainly had a lot in common, uh, just in terms of you know our imagination and uh, the films we like, the genres. So uh, it really was a lot of fun when uh, when the collaboration was on. Uh, it really was one of the most exciting collaborations I've I've ever had. So I love Buckethead, and uh, now actually I I have a new band called Spider Mountain, and I uh, collaborate with a great musician named Ronnie Sharon, and Ronnie has a band called Stolen Babies. Mm -hmm. I actually, uh, uh, I'm familiar, uh, oh, good. I saw Dillinger Escape Plan a couple oh, years right. ago with That's Gil right. Sharon was drumming right. for Gil. them, and it was an absolutely amazing drum performance. Yeah. I mean, that band is yeah. amazingly technical anyway, yeah. and he really put on a show here yeah. in Seattle. Gil is awesome. Well, this is his brother. I guess they're twins, and uh, Ronnie, he composes, he does a lot of uh, short film composition so what happens is that Ronnie um, really more composes the music so over time we wrote uh, the songs for Spider Mountain uh, you know as opposed to uh, just doing that improvising that we did in Cornbug so it's a different musical experience there's a lot more of a kind of a Danny Elfman feel to it mm -hmm. and uh, it's uh, loads of fun so I hope uh, people will go to my website choptopsbbq.com and uh, grab themselves a uh, nice autographed uh, Spider Mountain CD. You can click on the link right on the Bone Bat page and go right there and buy it. So. Right. Awesome. Okay, one last question. We always ask all of our guests on the Bone Bat Show. Bill, what pisses you off? People that don't use turn signals. <laughs> I, uh, I spend a lot of time in Los Angeles traffic, and uh, 
people that don't use turn signals, I'd say that really uh, irks me. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. Yeah, absolutely. You got to know where someone's going. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you joining us. All right. Good luck to you and all hail Bone Bat. Wow, that was just all kinds of content there, wasn't it? That was huge. So thank you once again to Lester T. Raw from the Pine Box Boys. That was Is it Christmas of- yet? I want the Pine Box Boys Christmas. I know. Isn't that going to be awesome? I'm really looking forward to that. And I didn't even know about it until just now. You see, you're finding out about shit the same time we are here on the Bone Bat Show. Well, actually, we found out about it earlier because we recorded the show and then... No, you know. it was only like an hour ago. Okay. <laughs> You're a fake, fake man. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then thank you to Bill Mosley, of course. You can uh, get his stuff, find both the Corn Bug CDs and uh, other DVD stuff at choptopsbbq.com. So swing over there and thank you also to Bill Mosley. So, dude. Dude. Multimedia triage. Triage. What are you digging on this week? Yeah, well, you know, I, I burned right through uh, Sebastian Younger's book, War. The companion piece to Restropo, which we've discussed several times. Definitely did that in the wrong order. Read the book, then see Restropo. I agree. It was a great book. It's a really great book. We we beat that thing to death, though. I read uh, Swamplandia by Karen Russell. You read that? I have not. I've, I've seen it around, but I have not read it. What's it about? She's the same author that did St. Saint Mary's Home for Girls Raised by Wolves. Yeah, I remember you asking me for that book way back in the day. Yeah. Anyway, this is her first full-length novel, and it's about a, uh, a family of alligator wrestlers that live out on an island in the swamps of Florida, and they've got kind of a, a theme park with alligators, and the, the mother is an alligator wrestler, and the kids are alligator wrestlers, and the dad is kind of the, the master of ceremonies, and it's, it's a sad, sad-ass tale about the, the, what happens to this family when the, the mother gets sick with cancer and croaks. And how they, they all go in, in different directions as the, the center can no longer hold. And while the story itself is kind of thin, the way she writes is just really, really... For me, I like just reading the words. It's, she's one of those authors that she can really, really put words together in a, in a way that resonates with all the crap inside my head. So if you like reading good writing then get the book. If you want a straightforward tale of adventure in the swamps, no, that's not the book. That's all I've done. I've read that, read War, and I pulled out a whole shitload of staples. Did I mention that? (laughs) Goddamn staples. Wow. Well, I actually read a book that I picked up at Crypticon. Uh, As I mentioned, I had done a panel with Willie Greer from the Horror Holocaust radio show. And uh, he wrote a book recently called Shadow Play philosophy and psychology of the modern horror film which is uh just came out from midnight marquee press and i gotta say i'm really enjoying it um basically uh the the title shadow play is uh talking about the jungian concept of you know why we play with the shadow how we find ways to deal with both like you know the darkness in our hearts and you know, our mortality and things of that nature by kind of messing around with death in non-threatening ways by, you know, be it video games or, you know, uh, watching horror movies and things of that nature. 
And while I have to admit that I'm kind of the type of person who doesn't look too closely at why I like the things I like, I kind of just like what I like. So a little of the the psych angle goes a long way for me. I mean, you know, there's there are times when he's kind of okay. Knives are phallic, and I I get that. Okay, let's you know what else. But he has a really winning writing style, and it kind of extended thoughtful takes on films that you you know you usually might read in only a short capsule review. And so it was. It's kind of neat to to hear his thoughts on different films. Uh, and there's a particular thing he does, like an extended essay on Blair Witch Project and The Ring, which are both pretty cool. And uh, it also has kind of in between a biographical slant to it. So at one part he's talking about how his relationship with his girlfriend just falls apart, and so he basically pours a bunch of wine and watches the worst shit he can find, like the most notorious horror flicks that you can think of i mean an alternative title could be like shadow play watching awful shit so you don't have to (laughs) and he he just writes in a stream of consciousness style which is really fun like here's a little section from the review for a film called buio omega beyond the darkness it's an italian film from 1979 wow they got a dolly track and everything for this movie a high class affair all the way Oh, yeah, and the zoom-in on the jogger's nipple when she burns up in the oven, very tasteful. (laughs) Is Iris wearing Frank's mother's clothing? The villa Frank and Iris live in really is remarkably beautiful, and the whole movie looks like it was shot with a wine-angle lens. Holy shit, she stabbed him in the dick! (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of fun, because you're you're just kind of going along with the movie with him, and it's really enjoyable. And I found myself, after, you know, finishing it up, I'm like... I want to know his views on other movies. You know, what does he think of Martyrs? Dead Girl, what about that one? Oh, God, yeah, let's bring that up again. But there, there's movies in here that he absolutely hates. And it's kind of interesting to, you know, hear his take on why he hates those films. And so, actually, I want to read more from Willie. So I enjoyed this. And he's the only author I've ever known who can write his name backwards and upside down when he signs your book. So that's pretty damn cool. No, that's a talent right there. That is. So yes, Shadow Play, check it out. You will find a link on the bonus. Oh, uh, what else? So uh, video game wise, I finished up Dragon Age Two, and it was meh. Yeah, it was not even as good as whatever that other talking game was. No, it would no. You know, it really it wasn't as good as the first one. Mass Effect. No, oh, it doesn't even touch Mass Effect. Yeah, which has just been announced, I guess, at E three. Mass Effect Three is coming out on March sixth, two thousand twelve. If the world isn't already over by then. (laughs) That's a pretty specific date for something that is almost a year away. I know. And then uh, I've been playing L.A. Noir, which is uh, a lot of fun. The new game from Rockstar. Yeah, how are you doing with that? You know, it's an interesting game. I'm not finding it as captivating for me as Red Dead Redemption. But it's almost like sitting down and trying to watch like an entire season of Law & Order at once. Because you're kind of like solving a case and you move on. And I'm pretty shitty at interrogating people. Because it's like... just not that intimidating. Basically, each each case is a a setup like a a murder or a crime happens. You go to the scene, you walk around, and you try to pick up clues. You find addresses or some sort of a link to a person. You go to that person's house and you interview them. And you might arrest them and take them downtown or you might just interview them there. But it's through the series of interviews where it's kind of a, you can either, 
you know, think that they're telling the truth, you can doubt them or you can call them out as a liar if you have some sort of evidence to back it up. And, you know, sometimes it's kind of apparent, like in the old, uh, what were those those pirate games from Lucasfilms? Monkey like, Island? Yeah, kind of like the Monkey Island games. Remember the sword fighting? Where mm-hmm. it was like kind of apparent what the, the riposte was to the insult? Yeah. You know, sometimes it's pretty obvious, okay, this question, I need to present this piece of evidence. But sometimes you don't have the evidence, and it can be kind of fucking hard. And I've kind of failed out on a few investigations, but I'm, I'm getting a little better of it. I think I'm like a third of the way through the game. I'm getting better at it. And driving a car in a Rockstar game is still a pain in the ass. That's not very fun. What? Yeah. That's like the most fun. That's the easy part. That's that's like you don't even have to play the game. Just drive around and jump and crash and stuff. Yeah, but now I'm a cop. So if I do that shit, it reflects poorly on me. <laughs> you see, in Grand Theft Auto, you can do that because you're a fucking criminal. And all the cops aren't criminals? Well, they're not supposed All to. All the sinner saints. But it, but it, it has a it definitely has like a LA confidential vibe from that movie. Like you yeah. know there are characters that seem like they're very similar to the characters in that movie. And I'm enjoying it, but it's not like just gripping me in the same way that Red Dead Redemption did. But I am enjoying yeah, that it. That one gripped you. It did. It did. I like when I went back to that. I went back to that hard. And this one I I can see but okay, here, here's one of the things. Like, you'll be going to a case, right, to, like, interview someone. And you'll get an APB that, like, a bank has been robbed. And whereas in Red Dead Redemption, if something, like, came up like that, like, somebody stole my horse, it was immediate. You kind of felt like you had to deal with it. Yeah. In this, I kind of don't give a shit if the bank's getting robbed. <laughs> that's just going to fuck up my day. I want to go on and get on with my investigation or my interrogation or whatever. So I don't know if it's, you know, if it's meant to kind of have that effect, but it sort of does where I just kind of want to get to the meat and potatoes of the game and move on. But I've already been promoted. I started out the traffic desk in Diamond Homicide, so it's kind of interesting. You're not cut out for this job. And there's a, kind of a Black Dahlia murder type of thing going on now where there's been several murders of a similar MO. So, yeah, it's a cool game. I'd say if, you, if you're on the fence about it, definitely check it out because it's, it's well done. The, the face acting is insane good. To the point of where you can actually recognize some of the actors that were behind it by the facial expressions. Hmm. They've really made a jump ahead with this. It's really cool. And you then, playing it on the Xbox? Yes, I am. And then the last thing is we just saw a movie on pay-per-view called Troll Hunter. Have you ever seen this movie? No. Dude, it is so good. I actually watched it with the kids. It's PG-13, and it's a Norwegian film. About Okay, it starts out where there's this uh, group of film students, and they found out about these bears that have been killed, and they think that it's bear poaching. Yeah. And so they, they find this guy who they suspect is being a poacher, and they start shadowing him. They go deep into the woods with him one night, following him, and all of a sudden there's all this rustling in the trees. And then he comes booking out of the trees going, Troll! And this big-ass troll is right behind him, like done in CGI, but it looks fucking good. <laughs> and the whole thing is this guy who actually works for the government, and he's like basically like a troll game warden. And it's, it's all from like, you know, a documentary point of view played dead seriously, and it's awesome. Huh. It is so much fun. We had a great time watching it. I would highly recommend it to everyone. It kicks more ass than an entire horde of mountain kings. <laughs> All right. I'm adding that to my queue. I'm going to watch that. I get it on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. But it is, uh, no, it's not Netflix. It was on uh, Comcast Cable Pay-Per-View. 
Oh, well, hell with it then. So it was like eight bucks or something. But still, when are you going to go see a movie for eight bucks for four Never. family members? We had a great time watching that. It was a blast. And that's all I've got. A lot more than me. Of course, your house is put together. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So filthy jokes? So filthy jokes? Filthy jokes. So this man, he's, he's having a few problems with premature ejaculation. So he decides to go <laughs> to the doctor. This man, not named Gord. <laughs> hey, hey. Is having a few problems with premature ejaculation. So he decides to go to the doctor. And he asks the doctor, you know, what he could do to cure this problem. This is kind of embarrassing. The doctor thinks about it and he says, well, you know what? When you feel like you're about ready to ejaculate, try startling yourself. So the guy thinks about it. And then that night on his way home from work, he stops by the sporting goods store and he buys, you know, one of those starter pistols. All right. So he's all excited to try this suggestion. So that night he gets all busy with the missus. And they're getting into it, and eventually they find themselves in, in the 69 position. Not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> Moments later, the man suddenly feels that urge coming on, that building urge. And so he reaches up and he fires the starting pistol. The next day, the man goes back to the doctor. The doctor says, so how did it go? Not so good. When I fired the pistol, my wife whizzed all over my face. She sank her teeth into my penis, and my neighbor jumped out of the closet with his hands in the air. Quite a visual, Steve. Why, thank you. All right. A businessman flew to Las Vegas for the weekend to gamble. He, he lost the shirt off his back. He had nothing left but a quarter for the second half of his round-trip ticket. And so if he could just get to the airport, he could get himself home. So he went out to the front of the casino, and there was a cab waiting there. He got in and explained his situation to the cabbie. He promised he'd send the driver money from home. He offered the driver credit card numbers, driver's license numbers, address, nothing doing. The cabbie said, look, if you don't have $15, get the hell out of my cab. So the businessman was forced to hitchhike to the airport, and he was barely in time to catch his flight home. A year later... The same businessman, having worked long and hard to regain his wealth, returned to Vegas. At this time, he won big. He was feeling really good. He went out of the casino, all this money. He's going to get a cab ride to the airport. Well, who should he see there at the end, very end of a long line of cabs, but his old buddy, who refused to give him a ride back when he was down on his luck. So the businessman thought for a minute, this guy is way at the end of the line. So how can he make this guy pay for it? Lack of charity. So he goes up to the first cab in the line, gets in, and he goes, how much for a ride to the airport? Fifteen bucks. Well, how much for you to give me oral sex on the way? What? Get out of my cab. So the businessman got out of the cab, and he goes to the next cab, and he does this. And the next one. And the next one. How much for a ride to the airport? Fifteen bucks. Finally gets to the last cab. Cabby goes, fifteen bucks. Businessman goes, okay. And they start driving away. And as they drive slowly past the long line of cabs, the businessman gave a big smile and a thumbs up to each driver. <laughs> I've heard that joke before, but I enjoy it. That's a fun one. It was either that or voodoo penis, but I thought I told voodoo you, penis you on told the show voodoo before. Penis. Well, here's a bonus one. These two guys are walking home from work one day, and the one guy says to the other, man, when I get home, I'm going to rip my wife's panties off. The other guy says, really? Why the hurry? He says, the elastic is killing me. <laughs> I think I told that joke on the show. <laughs> I don't think you have. I don't recall ever hearing that one before. No? No. All right. 
I was going to tell a joke, but it wasn't filthy. It was my, my favorite one of the week where the police come to the front door the other night holding a picture of this of this guy's wife. And the cop goes, you know, sir, is this your wife? The man goes, yes. And the cop goes, I'm afraid to have to tell you. It looks like she's been hit by a bus. And the guy goes, I know, but she's got a lovely personality. <laughs> All right. A few thank yous. I'd like to say thank you, of course, to Linnea Quigley and Bill Mosley for uh, spending some time talking to me at Crypticon. Of course, I'd like to thank Lester T. Raw of the Pine Box Boys and Stabatha for helping set everything up. And thanks to the Pine Box Boys for the music. Go to pineboxboys.com and pick up this CD. You must own it. You will not be sorry. What else are you going to play at Halloween, man? This is this year's Halloween album. Go get it. Also, I'd like to thank Dusty Peterson both for the art and for having a few cocktails with me at Crypticon. Like to thank I'm just going to thank him for the art. <laughs> I'd like to thank Vaughn for calling in, as always. I'd also like to thank Brother D and Bren and DZ from Cinema Diabolica, who I got to spend time with at Crypticon. Uh, if you want more Crypticon coverage, go to Mail Order Zombie. Derek and Brenda recorded uh, a number of panels, so you're going to be able to hear quite a bit of extra content that you didn't hear here and that's a good thing right that is a good thing i also like to thank eric morgret for inviting me and having me on the panels there and everybody else who joined me on the various different panels one thing on kind of on a down note this week uh that same weekend of crypticon uncle eric piggers who you remember from our last halloween episode the artist who does the amazing frankenstein and halloween art uh, had a massive coronary and uh he's racked up a ton of hospital bills and I would like to ask, if you have time and the wherewithal, go over to ToxicTunes.com and take a look at his T-shirts and his art. There's a bunch of different stuff, books that you can buy there. And if you can, and if you want to, pick something up. It would help him with his doctor bills. And it's quality shirts. I mean, I was wearing my American Frankenstein shirt at Crypticon, and I had a number of people ask me where I got it. So he does great work. And, uh, you know, I, I wish him the best. I hope he gets well soon. And uh, help him out if you can. Our usual bullshit show phone numbers 425-296-6557 or you can reach the show via email at steve at bonehand.com. Got new content at bonehand.com every Sunday, including the heavy half hour on non-bone bat week. So check that out too. And you can find my stuff such as it is at mightywombat.com. You can follow me on Twitter at mighty underscore wombat. And I do witty things or try to do witty things there. I just tried to do uh, Sarah Palin explaining the theory of relativity, how she would do it. <laughs> I didn't see that. Did you do that today? Yeah, I just did that today. Something okay. like, you can't take away the uh, freedom of mass because it's energy if when it's not exceeding light speed, but obeying the rule of law and squared or something like that. <laughs> but I did it in 40, 140 characters. Nice. Thank you. I'm also on Twitter. I'm Bonehand over there. Or we also have a Bonebat feed where you can keep abreast of show, yeah. of show news. Also, as I previously mentioned, we've got a new Facebook page, so check that out as well. And if you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. You know what pisses me off? What? The word ought. You cannot play it in words with friends. And the word slut. You cannot play it in words with friends. <laughs> What's more amazing is that you even are still playing that game. How do I not have a Words with Friends game going with you right now? I don't know. I've got like nine Words with Friends games going, and Gord is clearly missing from that list. Start a game, man. 
Thank you for listening, folks. Our closing <laughs> oh, tune- is this still on? Our closing Are we still talking. Our closing tune tonight is the funeral, the final cut from Tales from the Emancipated Head. Buy it. Buy once it again. Now. Once again, I'm Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one. All y'all stamp your feet and pick them up and put them down. All y'all stamp your feet and pick them up and put them down. For those who've gone on before and buried me ground, let them know how much you love them. Pick them up and put them down. The newer caddy hearses since 1965 got nothing on that 52 that Sticker used to drive. Get a 64, the ones before, fix them up again. The 50 had the fenders, but the 60 had the fins. The newer caddies whisper as they carry off their load. So many shiny hearses rolling down the same road. It was better when we walked behind the coffin in the street. Through that the deer departed here to stop it up our feet. All y'all stamp your feet and pick them up and put them down. All y'all stamp your feet and pick them up and put them down. The folks who've gone on before and buried in ground. Let them know how much you love them, pick them up and put them down. Get a pair of Tony Lamas, Lord, stomp around like hell. Stop for someone else today, someone will stop for you. And if the earth won't burn ashes, you'll be buried in it too. Every stone of propped up is a friend of yours or mine. Stop around a while, let them know you're doing fine. Raise your glass, shake your ass, slam that mother down. Bang your head and raise the dead and buy another round. All y'all stamp your feet and pick them up and put them down. All y'all stamp your feet and pick them up and put them down. For those who've gone on before and buried in the ground, let them know how much you love them. Pick them up and put them down. Come on there. Sponsors, Hollands and Hollands Mortuary Services. As they say, we'll be the last ones to let you down. We're also giving one out there to all of our friends that we buried this year, friends and dogs alike. Can't you hear me down there? Can't you hear me down there? Can't you hear me down there? Uncle Dodge, help us out, y'all. Hey, zombies. Hey, zombies. Hey, zombies. Get your dead ass in, y'all. Hey, zombies. Y'all stamp your feet and pick them up and put them down. Those who've gone on before and buried deep ground. Let them know how much you love them, pick them up and put them down. Let them know how much you love them, pick them up and put them down. Let them know how much you love them, pick them up and put them down. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 68 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? Yeah, it's going, it's it's chaos. It's absolute chaos around here. <laughs> Aren't you like eating in a hole or something like that? 
Hey, hey, that's no way to talk about my wife. <laughs> 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 I just lost it. <laughs> Well, <laughs> we should probably save that for the stinger. <laughs> yeah.